Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are now in our God is Able Sermon Series. In this life, it is so easy for us to settle for the ordinary. We wake up and typically have the same routine every single day. Yet our God created us to live an extraordinary life. There is no one in the world exactly like you, and God wants you to reach your full potential. This involves us growing deeper and deeper into Christ while following Him every day. His plans for us are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's trust Jesus and live out our extraordinary lives. Let's listen in. Good morning, church. I'm so excited to be continuing in the God is Able series. And you know, one of my favorite things about my job is being able to study for teaching like this. And why I love it is because I'm, I'm really a researcher at heart. I love researching things and studying things further to where it's, it's kind of an issue sometimes where like something small pops up and I want to study it to where I become that guy like, did you know that the mollusk, blah, 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 blah. And people are like, oh no, not again. So like, I love researching stuff. And when I was preparing for this message, you know, I love going deep. I love reading as many books as I can, reading as many commentaries as I can, Bible word studies. But when you're, when you're studying for a passage, you want to make sure you have a wide, uh, vast array of different types of resources that you're studying. So, yeah, I looked at commentaries. Yeah, I looked at Bible word studies and a bunch of different stuff. But we live in a world where there's a lot of technology. You want to make sure that you're using all the tools that we have in our hand, like different types of technology to do that. So, and some technologies help you get to like a street level where this practical theology is worked out. So I used one of the most powerful tools we have known to man to study this passage, Instagram. And, you know, I mean, if you want to really study about human nature, social media, you can really find what people are like and lots of different things. If you want to study the theology of humans, you could find that. But I was on Instagram and I was perusing reels and memes, as one does, uh, with moderation, of course. And I was on there and I came across this meme and I probably forwarded it to a lot of you. Um, and I saw it and I was like, this is actually really theologically accurate. I want to share it with you today because it kind of really sums up humans and sums up really the Old Testament for sure in general. And it says uh, this as humans in a nutshell, God, hey, you should do this. Narrator, they did not. And that that's really, I mean, a lot of times God would say to people in Old Testament, hey, you should do this thing. And then it comes in, they did not do that thing. Maybe we could replace ourselves here and God tells us to do something and responses, Jacob did not, which is a frequent thing for me. Maybe it is for you. But specifically, I share it with you because what we're talking about today, one of the themes of Scripture is this, that God says that we should live with his glory at the center of our lives, that we should live exalting him above all things. And God says this in Scripture as a theme throughout, and the response is always, they did not. In fact, a lot of the times in the Old Testament, it literally says that the people exchange the glory of God, the glory of the creator, they exchange the creator for the created, that they made this exchange of their glory. So God is saying, live for my glory, and they did not. And I, I assume as you study this, this idea here today, you will see that one of the reasons God is showing us in this way his glory as he's revealing his glory to us in the Old Testament and humans literally cannot respond. They respond and fall every time. It's one of the reasons Jesus came into the world to say, let me show you. 
Let me come and walk among you and show you how to live for my glory, how to keep my glory at your center. In fact, I will be the manifestation of all of God's glory to you in the world. Because what I want you to see is this, and you'll see this throughout this whole time of us studying this idea is this. God's glory is always for our good. God's glory is always for our good. And I don't mean that to say that when we focus on God's glory, we get something in return. What I, what I want you to see is if we do live for God's glory, if we exchange our glory, which is our struggle, that we want our glory, we want my name to be great, we want my name to have renown, that if we exchange our glory for his, the end result, no matter what you're going through, whether you know it or not, is always for your good. Because God is always has your goodness at the center of his glory. He has human flourishing. He has the best for you at his center. And then we live for his glory. It is always for our good. As we go into this passage, like we've done every week, we're studying Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, through 21. We're gonna, I'm going to read it. You're going to read it with me aloud. So it's going to be on the screen. So read with me as we proclaim the word of God together. This is what the word says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we've been studying this passage, we've been breaking apart piece by piece, little by little. And today we're looking at just this small portion that says, to him be the glory in the church. So really, we're going to break down this into two things. First of all, what is, what is glory? What do we even mean when we say that? We sang it a minute ago. We probably said it before if we've been in church any amount of times or today's your first day in church. You're like, what do you mean God's glory? We're going to study for a moment. What is God's glory and how does it function in the church. So the first thing I want us to do is something I, I don't do regularly, but I want to show you some Hebrew and Greek words. So the first thing is like me trying to explain God's glory to you is kind of like me saying, let me explain love to you. Let me explain beauty to you. There's so much complexity in scripture about what beauty is, love is, what God's glory is, but I'm going to do my best to show you from what scripture shows us. The first thing I want you to see is the Hebrew word kavod. The word kavod and really um, and when you're studying, we're not studying a specific use of kavod. We're show, showing how it's used throughout the Old Testament so that we can see the scope of the word. And uh, one of the main meanings is this, heavy, weighty, that it has a weight to it. So this, this idea of heaviness, so that God's glory is his kavod, his heaviness. So think about when you say something like this, like this is a really heavy matter. This has a lot of weight. Do you understand the weight behind this? Or even think about this when we say something like this, does this thing matter? What we're asking is, does this thing have weight to it? What is the glory behind it? So one of the meanings is glory, weightedness, that God's name is a weighty name. There, it is a heavy name. There is a lot that goes along with it. The other day is that it's honor, that someone's glory is their honor. So in the Old Testament, we see this weightiness and this idea of honor at the same time being weighed. And then in the New Testament, we see doxa. And the idea with doxa is this. It's this idea of reputation and majesty. So if you have the honor, glory, heaviness over here, then you have reputation. 
and praise over here, when you combine those two, what we see is the range of meaning of glory in Old and New Testament. And then we begin to start to see what are we talking about when we talk about glory. And in 2 Corinthians 4.17, it kind of translates this idea together in a phrase. It says, our present sufferings do not compare to the weight of glory being revealed to us. In fact, C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book called Weight of Glory behind this idea. So you see the both translations of honor and weight together. So when we define what God's glory means, you can kind of put it together like this. God's glory is all of which he has done. So his reputation, what has he done? Because think about us, for example, what is our glory? What is our reputation? What's everything we've done in our life? My reputation is everything I've done in my life. It's also what I am doing. I'm building part of my, the reputation of my name. Take what you will about that. And then what will I do at the end of my life? The reputation, who was Jacob's scripture, will be all he has done, all he's doing, all he will do. The good, the bad, and the ugly, it's all in there. But for God, when we think about his glory, is everything we, he has done, everything we read about the scripture, all of his good, all of his working in the Old Testament, we were talking about, this is all that he has done, what he did through Jesus, what he's doing currently now in our lives and in the world, the things we see and we don't, this is God's glory and what he can do, what is he able to do, because God is able to do all things. So his reputation, his glory is what he can do and what he will do, what he promised he will do at the end of all things. So God's glory encompasses all of these things. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is this. God's glory is also the sum of his characteristics. It's everything that he is. All of who he is. Like for us, the other side of the coin is everything we've done. And then the other side is the sum of our characteristics. Who are we? What is our personality? What do we like? That is the reputation of our name. But God's glory is so set apart, so different than ours, so highly exalted that his character and all that he's done comes together with how we understand who he is and his glory. And his glory is so magnificent, so hard for us to understand. Paul says in scripture that we see through the mirror dimly, basically that we can, we can only partly understand this out of heaven, things like this, this glory. But what God does is he unfolds his glory in scripture. When he reveals himself to humanity, he does it in this unfolding way. We're going to walk through what this looks like. This God's unfolding glory in scripture. And, and the first way he does it is this, God's glory around us. God's glory all around us. And this is what this means is this, that all of creation is pleading with us to see and contemplate the glory of God. That all of nature, God created everything. He is the creator God. He created everything around us and all of nature is pleading with us saying, look, there is something bigger than you. There's something bigger than me. There's something bigger than our self. Look at what Psalm 19 says. It says in verses one through two, it's on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God. They declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge that, that all of creation is singing a song to the glory of God proclaiming it almost in a better way than we ever can because it never stops. It never stops worshiping God. It never stops ascribing to him the glory. Even when I drove in this morning, it was at dawn and I could see off in the distance where the sun was rising. There was clouds and on the tip of every round part of the cloud, there was just a little touch of pink on every one of them. Just like Bob Ross had just touched it and put it on there. Just But here's the thing. Bob Ross doesn't get the glory from that. 
what Bob Ross is doing is just capturing a picture of the glory of what God created. That he's the one who gets the glory. That when we see nature, when we see a sunrise, when we see the mountains, we know that the God that created all of that, that there's so much complexity that the God created all that also created us. So if nature is screaming to the glory of God, look at this. That we were created in the image of glory of God. So he created all things and it was beautiful and they all point to God's glory. But then when he created man, he said it was very good. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. It said, God created them in man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So God created the world. Then he created us special. So we were very good when we created it. And it said, how were we made? In the image of God. Another place in scripture says the image and glory of God. And then Psalm 8 says he crowned them in creation. He crowned them with what? Glory. That God's glory is all around us. When we see humans, when we look around this room and we see the complexity of human life and we see, we can see moving pieces of God's glory because we are all image bearers. I mean, just look at the human nervous system by itself. We could say, man, look at this complexity and order behind it that God is the creator God who designed all of it. All of that is screaming to his glory. So it's God's glory around us. And then it's God's glory <clears throat> with us. God's glory with us, the way he's unfolding his presence with us as humans, because I explain it like this. God's glory is experienced in his special presence with a special creation. So anywhere you go in the world, God's presence is there. He is everywhere at once. His presence is there, but he has a special presence with his special creation, us, his image bearers. He has a special, and the way this looks in scripture, it unfolds over time so let's look at let's look at an example of this in exodus <clears throat> exodus 24 says this when moses went up the mountain the cloud covered it and the glory of the lord settled on mount sinai for six days the cloud covered the mountain and on the seventh day the lord called to moses from within the cloud and the israelites saw the glory of the lord like a consuming fire on top of the mountain then Moses entered the cloud, went up to the mountain, and stayed on there for 40 days and 40 nights. What you see is, in Exodus, this is called the glory cloud. This is the same cloud that followed the Israelites out of Egypt. It is the same special presence, special glory of God that filled the tent of meeting. It's the same presence that we see as we continue in Scripture that filled the tabernacle. It, as the temple was built, it's the same glory, the special presence with humans that filled the holiest of holies that God begins to reveal himself, be with his special creatures in a special way, in this unique way that he is everywhere, but he's also specifically in this place with scripture, with people. So you see this, he dealt as a cloud, that cloud filled the tent, it filled the tabernacle, it filled the temple and all that was just a shadow of what was to come. That God would come in a special way in Jesus. That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, asking for God to come and be with us, for his glory to come in a special way. And I know what you're thinking. It's a little too early for Christmas, Jacob. Well, Hobby Lobby has been doing this since June, so... 
But look at, look at where this comes from Scripture, Matthew 1, 22 through 23. It said, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because all of the glory that we see in shadow, that we understand in part of the Old Testament, is fully realized in God because God is fully in Jesus. Jesus is fully man and he's fully God, which means he has all of God's glory in him. So Jesus, when he came and walked the earth, he came and it was God's full glory with us. And at the end of his life, he even said, I'm physically departing from you. However, I will be with you always till the end of time. My glory will be with you always until the end of time. So that's where we move from God's glory is all around us. Then God's glory is with us to this. God's glory is in us. God's glory is in us because the work of Jesus, we now have God's cosmic glory inside of us. What I mean by that, and I say cosmic glory, it's like that's a little extreme here, but I want you to see something. The same power that laid the foundations of the world, the same power that hung the stars in the sky, the same power that tightened Orion's belt in the constellations, the same power that gave humans life, that same power lives in every single one of us who are followers of Christ because we have the Holy Spirit inside of it, which is the manifestation of God's glory in us that we have that cosmic glory inside of us. But what I want you to see is what does that cosmic glory do is this, that his glory is what changes us and what we are changed into. That it is his glory that changes us. When we talk about discipleship, we talk about becoming like Christ. It is his glory that changes us and in his glory that he changes us into. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, we all... The first thing I want you to see is that it says we, it doesn't say I, it doesn't say individual, it says we together as a community, all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. They're contemplating the Lord's glory. What happens? We are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, or translation may say from glory to glory, which comes from the Lord that is the spirit. So we have the spirit inside of us and what happens? We behold the glory of the Lord and we're changed into that glory. But what's it talking about unveiled faces? In Exodus, when we were just a second ago, when Moses would go up the mountain, he would be in the glory of the Lord. And you know what happened? His Shekinah glory would glow so bright to him that he would come down with glowing face. The glory would be glowing on him. And if people were to see that, they would die. That's how much glory he was reflecting to where he had to veil his face to protect the people. What Paul is saying here is that we now, with unveiled faces, because of the work of Jesus, because of having the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can unveil our face. The veil has been torn. We can reflect the Shekinah glory. In fact, we should reflect the glory. And when we do stare and behold the glory of the Lord, and the best way to do that is in Scripture of what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. And when we behold that, we are changed. Because you cannot come into the glory of the Lord and not be changed. And what is he changing us into? His glory. It says from glory to glory or ever increasing glory, his changing us. Look what 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Not just some of the things. Everything that we need for a godly life. And why does he do that? 
through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. That for his glory, he's changing us into his glory by his glory. You're like, you just said glory a lot. Because it says it a lot. So see this. That we were made in glory. God created us in his image and his glory. And now being remade in glory. That our changing, that our life changed and becoming more like Christ is because of glory. And it is for glory. So it's God's glory around us. God's glory with us. God's glory in us. And now God's glory for us. That God's glory is for us. What I want you to see is this. All of those are ways that God was unfolding his glory to us. And then we come to where we are now. In our present day with all we know from scripture is this. The greatest manifestation of the glory of God in the world today is the church. Or at least that's what scripture says it should be. That the greatest manifestation of the glory of God is the church. Look what Ephesians, we just read it a minute ago. Ephesians 3, 21 says, it says, to him be the glory where in the church that God's is mani- the same way he manifested in all in the world in the cloud in the temple in the tabernacle and then he manifests in us his glory in us but we gather together we make the church a collection of people pointing to a glory an institution that should be pointing towards his glory because this is true God's design for individual carriers of cosmic glory is to collectively gather. We were designed to gather together. We were designed to be here in this way together. Because, you know, I've been, I've been talking to people, and I was talking to somebody one time, and they were like, you know, I have God. I don't need the church. You know, I have God in the lake. When I'm on the lake, I feel God. I don't really need the church. Well, you can't complete the other part of this verse without being in the church you you can give glory to god but it says in the church expecting that we were created to be part of this collective gathering and think about this if we're all carriers of this light this shekinah glory this light inside of us when i grew up in jackson mississippi i lived on a street that had one street light on it the rest of it was completely dark so when people hung out they hung out under that light but i had friends that had lights on the whole street they're out there playing football throwing baseballs it was great because they had multiple lights there's one light. Think about a Christmas tree. You're like, did Christmas again? Yep, did it. If you had a Christmas tree with one light on it by itself, you'd be like, oh, that's nice. It's lighting up that one little spot there. But what's the glory of a Christmas tree when all the lights on a strand are together and you look at it and you see, man, that looks beautiful. That's what we're called to do, to be individual carriers of cosmic glory, to come together and be a bigger, because the possibilities of us by ourselves, we're just a flickering in the dark. But when we come together, think of the luminous possibilities of many light carriers coming together to give glory to God. And if this is true, and we were created for glory, then the best place for us to be is to be among others and to be here in this room, to be as the church together. And in fact, if we were individually created for glory, if you have a family, that means everyone in your family was created for that glory and you were created to gather together. Because like, I have a family of six. I have four kids. I know the best place for them to be is here. School's important, school's super important. 
but we have so many different things pulling at us going different ways with four kids like we should be here we should be here I know that none of those things compare to the importance of being here in this room for them to be with their community because I know at the end it is for his glory and for their good that that is the top priority for my family not just because I'm a pastor here because I know it is for their good so what does this look like? So if, if all of it manifests in the church and the church is the place that's where God is with us now, is where it is, where God is in us and we come together and collectively gather for his good to reflect his light, what does that practically look like in the church? I think it shows us in Acts 2. So Acts 2, starting in verse 42, this is what the word of God says. That they devoted, don't miss that word, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed among the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Doing what? Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What I think we're reading about here is this, that the early church was living out in a practical way what it meant to have the glory of God at the center of their lives. This is a group of people that have said, you know what? Instead of exchanging the glory of God for created things, we're going to exchange our glory for his. And we're going to live for his glory at the center. And what is the first thing it says in response when they do that is devotion that they were to devoted. But I think this is a good place for us to pause for a second and ask the question, like we all, if you were to look at our calendars, we were to look at our life, we were to look at all of who we are, we're all devoted to something. We all have things we're devoted to in some way. But a lot of times those places, things are misplaced devotion. What God is compelling us to and counseling to us from scripture is for his glory to be the center and the primary devotion of who we are. Let me give you an example. So all three of my sons play baseball. I'm a, a coach on two of those teams. And on the third team, I just help when I'm needed, which is every week. Um, and not because I'm good. It's just they need hands and I'm there. So, but, and here's the thing. I'm not devoted to baseball. I like baseball. My kids like baseball. But I'm devoted to God and baseball is something we like together. I'm devoted to my family and it's something we do together. If anything, it's an opportunity for me to show the proper priorities in our life that God comes first. If, if, if church and sports ever collide, there is no question God's glory goes above it. But when we're doing baseball, scripture says, do all things to the glory of God. We're doing it. If we do anything that's positive in baseball, it's for God's glory. He gave us the gifts. And we're focused on those things. But if, if we had it the other way around, that we're devoted to baseball and God is just something that we do, those are misplaced devotions. So that's something on a practical level that I have to balance as a father and a husband. I have to balance these things and disciple my kids in these things to help them understand the difference between likes, hobbies, and devotion to God and how those two things mix. So what were they devoted to here? What were they devoted to here? Look at this. Here's, here's four main things they were devoted to. I want to show you. The first thing is this, teaching. They were devoted to teaching, we just read. What this means to me is they were devoted to learning. They were, as a church, they were devoted to learning more 
about God, about themselves, about the world, and how those two things interact. Because when we said earlier, we behold the glory of the Lord, we're changed by that glory. Where's the number one place for us to behold the glory of the Lord in God's word that he's revealed to us? This is how we learn about the glory of the Lord, of what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promised to do is right here in scripture that we behold together that this church, they were dedicated to teaching and learning and understanding and contemplating the glory of the Lord together and teaching. The second thing is fellowship. What we're doing right now, we're fellowshipping the way they were fellowshipping. However, what I want you to see is the word koinonia that they use for fellowship and access. It's this two-sided idea that you are fellowshipping with other believers, but it's also our fellowship with God. Because God's glory dwelled with humans in the garden in a special way, and that, that special fellowship was broken through sin and he began to redeem that through his unfolding of glory into Jesus to where his work redeemed that relationship to where now we're fellowshipping with each other, but we also, through the Holy Spirit, are now fellowshipping with God. So what we're doing right now is both fellowshipping with each other and fellowshipping with God at the same time, his presence with the presence of others. Then the breaking of bread. What they were doing is they were taking communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And what they were doing was gathering together and breaking bread together, having the Lord's Supper. But when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, what are we remembering? Remembering everything Jesus did, everything that Jesus is doing, and everything that he promised he will do. What they were doing is remembering his glory. And when we do communion in a second, we're going to do the same thing. And then they were devoted to prayer. So they were devoted to teaching. They were learners. They were fellowship with each other and with God. They were breaking bread, remembering all the things that God has done. All these things that are glory-based. And then prayer. Praying for the things that God, thanking him for what he's done. And, and also praying for things that you were hoping that he would do. So this is individually that they were individual um, people focused on prayer, but they also collectively were praying together. And there is power when those luminous cosmic glory holders come together and lift up their voices on one cause. I'll give you an example of this. My, one of my sons has a digestive disorder and I, I pray every single day for him because when he wakes up in the morning, we really don't know what kind of day we're going to have. Like when he wakes up, we ask him, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. So we're like, okay, good. This is going to be a good day. And sometimes I don't feel good. And we just, it just goes downhill after that. And we never know, but we pray every single day. I even have printed out, I mean, this may be too much information, but you're going to get it anyway. I printed out a picture of a diagram of the digestive system. And my prayer God for him is I just run my fingers across this digestive system and say, Lord, please, please heal his digestive system. Uh, it's an intestinal prayer guide. I just came up with it. And, but at the same time, that's my individual prayer. I have asked the church the same way we say put a prayer request in. I have put a prayer request in. Please pray for my son to be healed. So our A6 and C3 and uh, community group leaders and staff, I've said, please pray for my son. And since I put that prayer request in, we've gone a month and we've had a really great month. Because I really believe that God's collected, God hears our collective prayers in the church. He hears us pleading, saying this. Because when we pray these things, we're praying two things. Every time I say this, God, heal my son for your glory and for his good. Because that's our prayer. Lord, if you're going to do this, do it for your, your glory. But like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, we know he can save us. But even if he doesn't, we're going to praise him for his glory. So what happens when we're dedicated to teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer? Here's the result. 
all they their responses all their responses this worship of seeing the signs and wonders among people because if you're isolated on the lake and you never join the people in the church you never see how god's moving in other people's life and you can believe that he's able to do those things in your life and then care it says that they sold their possessions and had everything in common the first thing we always think is we're thinking well they had all their goods in common well i promise you that's just part of it when we say that we have everything in common, it's not just goods. It's all of who we are, that we have our lives in common. I just shared a part of my life that you may not have known. We have that in common now. You know about my life. We are living life in common. When they say they share things in common, it's more than just goods. But if there is a need, they responded with goods. And the other thing I want you to see is there were needs. There are needs in the church now. You may have needs in your life, and that's what we're here for, to care for each other. That's why we, we care so much about community groups here because having that small group of people around us to help being cared for. And then we have habits. It says they met day by day in the temple and in homes breaking of bread that they built this habit of glorification, this habit of worship in their life. And they had a community. And when the world looked at this community, they were they, were, they didn't understand because it was so different than anything they've ever seen, this special community of believers. And the end result of all of those things and is this thing is worship that their response is ascribing to God the glory that he deserves. So that's how God works for us. All these things are for our good. But he also uses the church for this, that God, God's glory is through us. God's glory is through us. Because you see in this next portion of the verse, it says this, um, when the church has favor among the people, God gets the glory. At the end of this portion of Acts, it says, and they had favor among the people. Like, praise be to God that rolling hills, everything we talked about, we're committed to those things and keeping those things at the core. So at the end of the day, when people say, hey, I've heard about rolling hills, that we have favor among the people because not so that we could gain favor of the world, so they know that God is good and he gets the glory through it. So when we have favor among the people, that's why we have Do Good Local. Our local missions project is so that we can do good in the community. And what is the phrase we use? We do good for God's glory. We do all we can to help make the cities better because we have campuses. So our call is to God use us into our cities to make our cities better to where if Rolling Hills was taken away, the city would grieve because we were such a part of making the cities better for God's glory. And it's also this, that for the glory of God we go, that we go to the end of the street, but we also go to the ends of the earth. This is what Psalm 96 says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples that our call like their call was a missionary call to take that gospel take the glory of god to the ends of the earth to make his name great not our name his name that's always been the heart of rolling hills that's why rolling hills first property they ever bought in the history was an international property in moldova that's why coming up on october 1st we'll have all our mission trips open the way you can go on spring break summer phoenix moldova italy amazon all places so we can take the gospel to the ends of the earth and at the end of all of these things with god with us for us in us and working through us is always this that god's glory is always for our good because all of who god is is his glory everything that encompasses god is his for his glory and what he wants to do in us is take all of who i am 
and make that for his glory. Take all of who you are and make that for his glory. All of who we are as a church and make that for his glory. And my prayer is, is that the end of all things, at the end of our life, when they share the meme of our life, it says, God told them to live for my glory and not their own. And the narrator says, they did. As we move into a time of communion, you got these elements when you came in. And when Jesus was with his disciples on that night, that's exactly what he said. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And remember is one of the words used more than almost any in the whole Bible to remind us to remember what God has done. So what are we remembering? Remembering that trifold nature we talked about in the glory of God. We remember what he has done that Jesus came and walked among us, that he's not a God that told us what to do. He came and showed us what to do, that walked among the people, and not only that, gave his life for us and rose again. That what he's doing in our life now, individually as people, that he's changing us, that no matter what valley or peak you're in, that he is with you always in that moment, that God is working in all of our lives, whether we see it or not. So we remember what he did, we remember what he's doing, and then we remember the promise of what he's going to do. That one day at the end of all things, he's going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be no death, there's going to be no suffering. And we'll be able to sit in his glory, in his Shekinah glory together and praise his name in full. So as we come to this table, we remember what he has done, what he's doing, and what he promised he's going to do. On that night, he passed the bread to his disciples and said, this is my body, and it's broken for you. On that same night, he passed the cup around and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Father, we come to your table. And all of us have come to this table in different places, Lord. First of all, we thank you for welcoming us to your table. That we could break bread and remember you, God. That we can come in your glory, Lord. And I pray if there's anybody in this room, Lord, who does not know you, does not know that glory, that in, like Isaiah, when he came in face to face with your glory, he fell to his knees and said, woe is me. If anybody in this room is at the place of woe is me, let them hear what the angel said. What the Spirit of God says is this. You are forgiven. And let them stand up and walk anew. And for all of us, Lord, let us exchange our glory, Lord. Let's remember what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do and focus your glory at the center of our life. And then we get to sup at your table and realize how much that is for our good. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.